June 6, 2010. It's the Law from Pedro Show.
June 6, 2010, here in San Pedro. Uh, started off the show, John Coltrane doing uh, part of Love Supreme Resolution, but it was like a, it's listed as a breakdown, so I guess there was a clam or something. Or maybe a dropout. Some of those things was from references. I got the deluxe thing on 40th anniversary. I guess they'd have something running at seven and a half the whole time, so John Coltrane could listen to the day's yeah. works and stuff, what they call a ref, reference. And so they got some kind of takes off that that weren't found on the album. And uh, So that's what that was. And it started with bass solo, so <laughs> much respect. <laughs> and then we heard something with our guest here. Christian? Yep. You heard him speaking on his... Uh, Testicles, line check. <laughs> <laughs> Testicles, line check. Testicles. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Welcome aboard. I'm at the Watt from Pedro show. Yeah. It's a beautiful day in Pedro today. And your first part, uh, time in this part of the town, right? Um, no, Triclops has actually played a couple times in Pedro. We played at Harold's once, and then we played um, a couple houses, some backyards. Were good times. No, I mean... Uh, First time in this part of the town. This part of the town, yeah. Land's End, right? <laughs> yeah. Near Point Furman. In the Love Grotto. Home of Brother Matt. Welcome. The Wild <laughs> Kingdom. And uh, so welcome to this part of town. So if you were in some house parties, maybe it was over on 13th and Pacific. It could have been, yeah. Or um, maybe before that was 4th Street. Fellow named, fellow named Danny put it on? Danny Lou. Yep, yeah. Danny Lou. Yeah, Danny, Danny Lou. rocks. Yep. He's good people. Really good dude. Partita. And uh, maybe you played Harold's? Yep, we did. We yep. played with... Uh, Toys That Kill. The band that you played with once there, Free Moral Agents. We played oh, yeah, with them. right. And then... Um, I don't. They I, were from Long Beach, actually. Yeah, yeah. Was it uh, Underground Railroad to Candyland or Todd to Bible Children? He's got many bands. It might have been Candyland, but I'm 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 drawing a blank. We played with the. Uh, He's the, just the finishing back- an album with them. Yeah. Yeah. The backyard show we played with the guys from Fullerton and the Pterodact dudes and. Oh yeah. You heard of those guys? Those guys are great. They're a great band. It's super high energy, super rock. Friends of Kid Kevin. Huh. Fred- Kid Kevin. He's actually Anaheim originally. Uh-huh, a yeah. lot of these. Punk people you may met in Pedro aren't original Pedro. Danny yeah. Lou is though. Mm, yeah, yeah. But a lot of these cats moved here, like Todd from Torrance and uh, Kid Kevin from Anaheim. And yeah, yeah. I met all these cats Virginia. when I first I'm came. Brother <laughs> Matt's from here. Oh, right on. Yeah. I met all these guys when I came here, so it's tough to figure out exactly where they're from. Yeah. And then they would just be there when we came back, so they're just. No, they, they they moved there. Some of these guys, some guys came from the hill, like Vinnie Vegas. Yeah, and Pals Verdes, a uh, Dirk. Vandenberg, the guy who shot the cover of Double Nickels. Yeah. He's been here since maybe 78. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, when they come, they stay. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. And then a lot of the ones that are from here stay, too. <laughs> yeah, why leave? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you don't really drive through town. Yeah, you got to be wanting to come Because it's the end of the freeway. The Harbor Freeway ends here. So, but let's keeps talk about your, where you live. Keeps your neighborhood safe, right? <laughs> keeps the local locals Bottled friendly, up. or maybe not. Huh? Up. We like visitors. We like new people moving too. Like I said, I was from Virginia. I came here when I was ten. Oh, really? Um, yeah, my father was a sailor. But let's talk about where you live. 
I live right now. I live in the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco. Okay. I live with our bass player Larry, who was in you know Larry from I know Larry many back years from ago. The, the victim's family. Yeah, he, I think great he, bass player. Those played. Those guys played mostly shows with Firehose, right? They didn't play with the Minutemen. Not Minutemen. They ain't. Yeah, that's not that back. Not, <laughs> no, hold. I was going to say <laughs> they, not, they're more young. He's not that young. They're more young. <laughs> we don't use that old word. No. There's just only more no means young no. and less young. Only no means no uses the old world, uh, the old uh, old uh, word as a marketing tool. Yeah, I'm not into the old word. I'm into less young. I'm in. I'm or more it, young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> but uh, I know Larry from back then. So I live with Soya, Tim, the drummy man. He was. We were talking about Les Claypool, and he worked with him for a while. Oh yeah. Yep. Maybe yeah, he's back a, with him. I don't know. He cruises around a lot. He's a right. drum tech for lots of right, people. Right, right. But he was a good drummer, too, in his own right. Yeah, uh, he's got a quick left hand, man. It's like always working no matter what. He's right-handed, but he's, his left is the one that's always busy. It's kind of it's weird to watch him because he literally just doesn't use any symbols. He just uses a hi-hat for yeah, all of yeah. his accents. It's Art really Blakey. cool. It's a great... Yeah, right? <laughs> heard some stories about that guy being a... You know, the way he was running his band. Oh, yeah. A lot of documentaries, and that guy was all business. Do you know about uh, the Buddy Rich tapes? Speaking of drummers and business? Oh, yeah, the ones where he's caught on tape uh, berating his band. after the uh, gig. I heard about that. About 10 minutes worth. I'll send you MP3. (laughs) Everybody in the band should hear this. And, uh, you know, inspiration and uh, heart to heart. Mustache. No, the beard. Yeah, it gets to, you know, because you got it's a band, right? So you're going to discuss very important musical things like whether you're going to go on stage with a beard or not. <laughs> or it's a goddamn House of David baseball team. Or, or Buddy, Rich, Buddy Rich Band, Young Men with Faces. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll flow it to you and you'll know what I mean. Right on. Uh, it's, I heard nothing but several good stuff about it. Web. Some dudes have, uh, in case, because the motor's uh, running in the background because it's in the bus right after so oh. some dudes have like uh transcribed it and fitted it like a shakespearean play and oh uh, yeah one dude made a comic book out of it where every word of that tape is in the comic <laughs> and that's intense you know because he's given graphic because nobody uh, saw what was happening you know right nobody heard the band either but Nels Klein told me he met one of the cats that was on that tour and he said Nels the band deserved it Oh, yeah. oh I no! Guess it was like kind of weak. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. By this point, it was like eighty three, eighty four, and Buddy was playing with kids out of college, and, and you know he was used to whatever. Yeah, his style was a little too military for me. Anyway. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, uh, the song we played from the new Triclops record. Homage to Money Casino. On yep. the other side, is the name of the album in the song is Homage to Money Casino Red. Red in parentheses. What's that mean? Um, it was a working title of the song because John was was formulating the lyrics out with a with an emphasis on on how I guess how communism was or you know the the different vibes, the different political views or whatever the stuff that people didn't understand but they were fighting for anyway. And he just titled it Red, so we had a reference point. Car- uh, casino. Yeah, and then we were in Europe driving around. And uh, he was writing the lyrics, I think, in the front of the bus. After a while, I finally got it. And the first time we ever played the song live was on stage in um, at this little, this this cool little punk rock shack um, 
in uh, oh man, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but we had a translator. He just sung it in Italian, and he they, she translated all the lyrics, and he just ended up. Oh, so you played it in Italy? Yeah, we we debuted it in Italy, not too far away from from the monastery. Ah. Um. Wow. Let's see, we played in. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. It's right on the Mediterranean. It's it's not a place that's too well known for being Terracina? a stop in, huh? Terracina. Nope. That's like a little. It's by the, on the water near Rome. Mm, no, it's not Pescata. Uh, yeah, I'll remember it in a little bit. Of course, it's okay. I'm drawing it's a blank on it right Some now. Some place in the middle of Italy. It was a beautiful spot, but on the coast. Beautiful spot. Yeah. Which side? West, east, um, the, Adriatic, or Mediterranean? Oh, it was the east. Yeah. So uh, Adriatic Sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ravenna. Nope. Rimini. Hmm. It's okay. Cesena. We'll remember sometime. We'll Otranto. get there. <laughs> One time I, we were supposed to play in Otranto, but the gig got cut. But I rode a bicycle there. There's towns inside a castle, around the water. It's beautiful. Well, incredible uh, bike ride. It's in the hill part. Mm-hmm. So all these olive trees and not a lot of hills. I got sunburned, though, man. It was like 20 miles each way. I bet, man. So, but I was the only cat to go there because the next day the, some screw up with permits, so it got changed to a town, a, a little town with a nun cloister, Montpignilio, Pignilio, I think. And uh, that's where I first saw Yumi Yumi, or the only time I saw him. And they had a bunch of, I remember a bunch of chow, man. And you're always just there in uh, late November, December. I eat pasta every day. The guys I play, I play with some Italian musicians. I did an album and some gigs. Great cats, Stefano. And, um, yeah, what was the name of that? Uh, Sogno del Marinaio. Right. Uh, the Sailor's Dream. I remember getting the, the, the emails. Can we go back that? in your history, though, about um, musics? Yeah, where you want uh, to go? Well, no, well, let's play some music first, and then we'll, from the get-go. Rock Peter Show. Anticipando il ferro con poco scatto, bene 
Sugar Bang Arrivato fresco fresco da Seng Seng Io ho avuto da bambino Al Capone come padrino E mia madre mi allattava whisky e gin Sono il dritto di Chicago Sugar Bang So sparare alla pistola con lo swing Io con Jimmy l'ho sfregiato Sette banchi ho svaniggiato Nello spazio limitato D'un mattino Ragazzi, mamma mia che scago, quando per Chicago scenda a passeggiare. Ragazzi, presto sorridete, se lo disturbate, certo sparerà. Sono il dritto di Chicago Sugar Bay, deputato del distretto di Sing Sing. Quando vedo una ragazza, quella lì diventa pazza perché Sugar tiene un fascino latino. Quando il grande poliziotto Peter Kahn fu in un bar di Cincinnati un po' villano. Lì per lì senza riguardo sollevai un gran biliardo e glielo mise al collo come una stracana. Quando ad Hollywood per caso capitai ad un pranzo con Kim Novak non andai. A di risate sempre ghiotto per veder Gianni e Pinotto anche un bacio a Dava Garner rifiutai. Sugar Bang Ho una villa Prenotata giù a Sensei Sorridete e salutate State attenti alle boscate Sono il dritto di Chicago Sugar Bang Sono il dritto
Why for Pedro Show? We just played a bunch of music from Italy there. Uh, started off with um, Renato by L'Encanto. Then The Battle of the Spiders by Musical Buzino. Then Sometimes with Our Knowledge by Sigori. Ah, there's one guy from uh, San Jose. It's only three-fourths Italian. That band. Great band, though. And uh, Il Drito di Chicago by Ricardo Frisari. He's a drummer, but... Uh, yeah, you can hear him playing the drum, but he ain't the only cat in the band. And maybe uh, it's not his band. Maybe he's just playing drums for him. <laughs> People should give drummers more credit. I probably would want me to say that. Good on you. And then A Ray of Shadow from the Sun by... Um, hmm, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's J.M. the at sign I.K.A. Is that Jamaica? Sounds good. Ray from the shadow. What is it? A ray of shadow from the sun. Ray of shadow from the sun. Yeah. Nice title. But they spell the na- band of the name. The, the band of the name. The band of the name? Yeah. J.M. at sign I.K.A. So I'm thinking Jamatka? Jamaica, man. Maybe it's Jam- a clever way spelled. Jam- Jamaica, Jamaica yeah. man? Yeah. Bella, bella. Bell. So, Kristen, we're going to talk about uh, how you got started with music. When was the first time you... Uh... I remember being in... Uh, I was I was born in, in Hartford, Connecticut, and I grew up in Wit, this uh, small town called Paquonic. See, like a lot of Bay Area cats, not from there. See? That's yeah. why I said Larry. Lots uh, of transplants. Larry's a... You're, not, you're singer man. Oh, yeah, Johnny. He's Johnny. He's, that, he's original Bay Area. That's man. right. Yeah. But you're... Uh, Kira's K uh, played bass in uh, Black Flag, mm-hmm. Connecticut. Oh yeah, yeah, New Haven. Yep, P- played hockey there when I was a little kid. Okay, your town wasn't too far. Huh? No, everything was about twenty to thirty minutes away from all that stuff. But but yeah, I remember I was in elementary school, and then there was an announcement over the intercom that said that you know uh, you could get out of you could get out of your fourth period class if you wanted to by going and signing up for this music program that literally just got started. And I was probably about seven or eight years old. And, and I was like, Oh, this is great, man. I get to get out of class. I'll go check out what this scene is. So, you know, I raised my hand and the teacher was like, who wants to go check out the music program? And I was right on it. First hand in the air. You had never played an instrument. Never played an instrument. Did you ever have a record? Did you, did you buy yeah, records? Yeah, my dad was a my dad was in the Air Force and he was stationed at at Travis. Yeah. When uh, in the late sixties and you know he he cruised around he, but for some reason he missed a lot of the he missed all the shows but he he caught the general vibe and he definitely became a huge fan of a lot of the sounds coming out of San Francisco at the time like most cat people that were into it. So he brought all those records with him, and then I, I grew up listening to a lot of that stuff. He's a huge Cream fan. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, Jack Bruce. Yeah, and Jefferson Airplane, and you know he he only listened he only listened to one Airplane album, and that was uh, after bathing at Baxter's. Was his, Baxter's. That was his his jam. That's a good jam. So, though. Oh man, there's some instrumentals on the second side that mm-hmm. are just beautiful, like just like. So you've been hearing this, yeah, but not driven to play yet. And, it was this. Uh, get out of fourth period enticement. It was all selfish, you know, less schooling, more fun. And, and uh, yeah, and I didn't have a handle on anything at all and, and went well, down there. You're going to have to learn music, though. <laughs> well, yeah, who, who would have known? <laughs> so I went down there and they said, yeah, they give you a list of instruments and then you brought it home to your parents and then they, you know, and then you you go through your finances and see which ones the parents want to, want to pick up for you. And I actually wanted to play the trumpet. 
But uh, so I checked that one down and I brought it home and I went to, I, I think we pretty sure we went to, you know, had dinner with the folks that night and that was, you know, here's what we did in school today. And Pop looked at it and, you know, I'm pretty sure the deal, I was just talking to him about this when I, um, a few months ago, I was asking him for clarity, but he, he couldn't help me out with that. But uh, <laughs> he, I asked him, okay, so did it come down to, I had two choices. One was drums and one was trumpet. And I, first choice was trumpet. And he said, okay, but if we spend the money on the trumpet, oh, we went to a music store, and that's where we got the prices. Yeah. And then and he said, okay, if I spend the money on the trumpet, if I don't hear you practicing yeah. five times a week, you're in big trouble. I'm a rapper. He said, or back. I can buy you this practice pad and this pair of drumsticks, yeah. and I'll never yell at you ever. And I said, sold. I'm the drummer. Went back to elementary school, oh. told him I was going to be the drummer, and started playing. The catch with this this setup at Pequannock Elementary School was that they did pull you out of class to practice music. Yeah. So I was still getting out of class, and I was and the excitement from getting out of class spilled over into the excitement of learning how to play drums. Sure. And then no drummer who starts off is ever happy about playing on a practice pad. No. They're just thinking that they get to bash out and be and be the good drummer immediately. So. Mitch Mitchell. Yeah. And so I had to deal. Oh yeah, my pop is a huge Santana fan too. Oh, so okay. that those drummers are they they were smoking. So uh but so, you're in school, so you're not getting to play really rock stuff. Right? Oh, never, never. Yeah, so yeah, I right. got got, you know, started doing the learning the rudiments. The rudiments and stuff like that, and then my dad found this really cool teacher. His name was Fred Bacchino. And he uh taught at the Windsor Music Center and uh the place is still open. And he was just the most patient, most gifted, you know, jazz drummer. Wrote his own book, well respected in the town, and he, you know, he made it really exciting. You would start off on the pad, learn the rudiments, and then he'd just move you over to the drum set, which you were waiting for, Trap. and then just say, okay, do the rudiments on the snare, and you build it up from there. So he started, and he would have uh, recitals, you know, so you could play the, you know, Shit play in front of the folks. parents and all that stuff. That was the first time my parents ever heard me swear. So you were doing a two-track. You were doing the school and this teacher. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, building it up, getting really, you know, getting excited about it, getting really into it. But no set yet. You're using his set. No set yet. You're using the school stuff. No set yet. All you own is practice pad. Practice pad. Are you playing along to records yet? No, no. I got the lead, and then there was auditions for the elementary school um, concert, and the theme was the... You know, Pee Wee Herman was a big movie at that time. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 33 years old, so they were doing the, the tequila theme. You know, and nobody could get the ding, 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 ding. And I muscled my way through through the guys who had been there. You know, already had a handle on it, and I said, "I got this, no problem." And I did it. And next thing you know, I was on stage doing it, and that was my first taste of the stage. And I'm like, "Oh man, this is for me." You know, hearing the parents clap and all that stuff. So yeah, that was cool. That started the the fever for sure. What about band? So then my dad bought me a Remo kit. So you and, got a whole trap kit. Yeah, and my parents were always man. They never ever wanted me to you know stop anytime I was playing it. They just never told me to. They they were always dealing with it. They were always supportive. They didn't care about the band band. No, they were, yeah, yeah they didn't. They were Great. fine with it. Of course, you know when you're developing the chops, it's not going to be very loud at first. You know, <laughs> so. And then you know, where'd you have it in your bedroom? In the bedroom, yeah. Not, you know, plugged into the stereo, headphones on. 
Oh, so you start playing the records. Started now. playing the records, and one of those records was part was the recital. There was a recital, and I had to play along with some Eagles tunes. Eagles. So I had to learn. Manly. I had to yeah. I had to learn two Eagles tunes. I had to learn Long Run, and I had to learn uh, Can't Tell You Why. It's probably off the greatest hits record by then at that point. <laughs> but uh, so that was my first recital drum. When I was in front of the parents, I had to do that one. You know, excited about that. Then my dad. Uh, got ri- for some reason got rid of the Remos and bought me a Pearl set that was a little bit nicer because oh, he said, "Oh, well, Peter Chris." Yeah, so he, yeah, that was. Right. I, I tell you what, Pearl, man. So, right. so you know, I started reading the magazines, getting you know, I started getting immersed in rock and roll. MTV was already on, and I started getting into that, you know. But a lot of the videos scared the crap out of me, like uh, so, like that Eddie Money video. There was an Eddie Money video that scared me, where he turns into a vampire, and then Ozzy <laughs> just. Put me like I ran under the covers for the Bark at the Moon video. That scared that scared me to death. But then like Bowie had some good videos, and you know, and Van Halen, of course. But uh, so you're playing the videos? No, I was just getting you're playing the records. I, well, that was the first time I ever got a visual on. Ah, because you hadn't been to a gig yet. No way, man! Yeah. My first concert was 1986 Rush Hold Your Fire tour. You know, my dad was a huge Rush fan, so so he brought me to Rush because he wanted. Let's play pool, like he was like, wait till you see the drum set do go do three sixty turn, you know. A lot of drums too, (laughs) right? But that was you know that was Terry Bozio has more, but Neil Peart's up there, (laughs) right? (laughs) And Nell's brother Alex, in fact, it just stays in his house. I don't his symbol thing. He's got like hundred symbols and shit. Yeah, I don't. I think he has a, a, a set for like gigs, but then there's this house set that like. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Just, what about playing with uh, dudes outside of school, like a band? So yeah, we that started rolling, and. Um, what were the guys from school? See, I, 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 my parents got a my dad got a job transfer down to um, St. Augustine, Florida, ah. when I was thirteen. So I was, you know, playing. Lost and I was, the teacher. Mm-hmm. You lost your teacher. I lost my teacher, but I gained another amazing teacher. Just so happened to luckily be this New York cat who had moved to St. Augustine. Augustine, and he was his name was uh, Paul Lewis. He, he he called himself Fats Lewis because he was just this large of Irish descent New Yorker dude, big red beard, big hair, very Santa Claus, you know, Santa Mall guy. You know this guy. And, yeah, and Did you go to the house this, there. This you know, St. Augustine has the oldest house in the oh yeah, oh yeah, Americas. Yep. Yeah, oldest street, oldest and then that schoolhouse. Fort that's made out of like crushed shells. Coquina, right? Coquina. Yep. Castillo yeah, de San Castillo de San Marcos. Yeah. Well, I didn't remember the name. It's yeah. Good, but you. Lived well, there. I worked across the street from it for five straight years. <laughs> okay. I hope I remember the name. And it could absorb the cannonballs because <laughs> of the crushed shell stuff. So. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so you're playing drums there. Started. Yeah. Brought the kit down and and started playing there. And then went to school and just. You know, like, so, I, diff, totally different world. So, you know, it's like taking somebody from uh, from uh, suburban Portland or, or, or you know, like, the middle of Oregon and putting them into Southern California, like, putting them into Surf City, USA, yeah. where it's like, I show up and I'm, you know, surrounded by all these different, this whole different scene and uh, eventually found some guy with a Led Zeppelin pin. And I was like, hey, man. And I had the, it was a physical graffiti sh- pin and I had the shirt. So I, I was ah, like quick to try to, together, yeah, yeah, that was the, that was the, the introduction Connect. to anybody that was on my wavelength. Yeah. So I, be, he was my best friend. His name is Joshua Clay and he's my, oh, so you like John Bonham? 
Yeah, that will see that. My grandma bought me "Song Remains the Same" behind my parents' back, and and I was uh, I watch it at her house when I would visit, and I was just obsessed. I was you know fell in oh, love with video? it. Yeah, the the that DV that VHS that they came out with the the Madison Square Garden 1976 shows there they did. Wow. And you know that that video has like the you know the fairy Torino. Those are the tapes that are the best, you man. Know about that, that how the West was won. Oh my god! I don't god, know the names of them, but I remember when they were happening. That's the best Zeppelin recorded They're stuff I've ever heard. Band. Ever heard? Right in Long Beach. Yeah, Long Beach Arena, yep. across the bridge here. So you meet a. What did this guy play? He turned into a bass player, but you know it took a long time to get a band going. I just played with random people out of small amps in my room as well. My parents right. scored a really nice house, and it. I had my own jam room, my own kind of apartment off the side of the house. Right near, you know, near the pool or whatever. And again, my dad soundproofed the room, you know, down for the cause, soundproofed the room, built it up from scratch and, you know, let me go at it and just kept, kept forming bands and starting it up. And then, uh, the first band that I ever played in was a band called (laughs) Spontaneous Combustion. And we played like Wipeout. Was it your band? Yes. It was the first band I joined as a drummer. Oh, and you joined, it wasn't... It, yeah, I joined, yeah. They had already played, like, maybe two dances or something like that. Uh, high school dances. You came up with the name of the band. No, I wish. And you guys did mainly covers? <laughs> mainly covers, and our only gigs... Florida has the the first, the country's first, and I don't think it's the only one anymore, but they... Uh, St. Augustine is, has the first Florida deaf and blind... The nation's deaf and blind school. Yeah. They were the one that started it, and they, they had a half pipe in the back, and they would put on concerts. So the first gig that I ever played was at a deaf and blind school, and it was amazing. The place was packed, and, and they, they were always relating to it however they could, you know, and they were dancing like crazy. Because they was, were deaf and blind, was, but the music was it, still reaching It was them. feeling them, yeah. They yeah. could see it, and then they get excited about that, and then the deaf people were just rocking with the vibrations. So, you know, the first two gigs playing, like, Misfit covers and Wipeout and... Uh, and um, Safari some other stuff like random stuff I forget but um, so you had the surf beat then huh yeah I just play anything I play anything anyone told me to people play that at at, uh, Peter High on the benches with their knuckles yeah (laughs) get in trouble on the desks for sure (laughs) this kind of thing so that started the fire that started the fire oh yeah and then, um, and then I found, and then I became a, then I got really into heavy metal and, yeah. uh, and started playing all that. You're still on the Pearl set? Believe it or not, I still got it. Okay. Yeah, I still got it. <laughs> um, it sounds pretty good still, believe it or not. So you start playing, uh, spontaneous combustion start playing metal songs? Spontaneous combustion combusts. Oh. And, and we form an, a new metal band with a, I'm, I'm. I'm 15. No, I'm 13 at this time, and we're playing with a 16-year-old. This is an interesting story. We're playing with a 16-year-old guy named I'll never forget his name, Chet Babakaya, and uh, Middle Eastern descent, very private family. Um, they were always kind of whisking him away from hanging out at my house or anything like that. We'd rehearse for a while, and then they just time to go home. And he'd, you know, they'd I could never go over to his house for some reason. The name of this band was called Heresy. You know, and we took like pictures, black and white pictures on the tracks, you know, and the in the the ruins of like an old uh, college, you know, and uh, with the cut off metal shirts and stuff, and um, and we we got our our big 
and then it, during this band's time, did you have big hair? I had beautiful hair. Okay. Yeah, I didn't tease it up though, but I had long blonde flowing hair. I looked like a beautiful, beautiful woman. <laughs> and uh, I was the looker of the band. So right. The other guys were a little more harsher on you know, but uh, so in, during this time, that big metal tour that happened. See, I don't know if you were even paying attention to this kind of crap when you went because you were already a working man at this point. But that Clash of the Titans, they call it the Death of Metal. It was a uh, Slayer, Megadeth, and Alice in Chains. It was this big metal tour that was happening. I, I went to that. My my parents let me go to that at thirteen. Saw that, changed my life. Went back home to our Lombardo. Yeah, Lombardo. That was that was an amazing. I have a big respect for him. I think he's a great drummer. Yep. Went back home. With you know burning with a fever to play, started you know had Double a Slayer kick. had a Slayer cover in our repertoire, but we had originals as well. So my my Did you go to Double Kick, not yet. Okay, not yeah. yet. My foot was kind of fast. I could do like a little bit of accents, so I didn't think I needed a double kick yet. Even though I wanted one, my dad was like, "Whoa, hey, whoa, man." Louis Belson. All those cats. Actually, Louis Belson invented the double kick. I saw him. Really, he's a jazz player. Yeah, way before metal. Well, I know Billy Cobham was rocking them. Yeah, with the Fuge. I saw Mount of Eastern Orchestra at the Long Beach Arena, and he was... Actually, he had three kick drums, but only played... T- it was for how he was sitting. Yeah. He was towards the hi-hat side or the tom-tom side, so he didn't play all three at the same time. I think that's cool. Yeah, they were... Uh, three different clear. drum sets. They weren't Vista-like, but they were clear. Mm-hmm. It wasn't made by Ludwig, but they were that type. All clear. And to get to get off the subject of me, yeah. what was the... What was, what was the what was the crowd like for Mahavishnu? Was it a big was it, was it a big the Birds place? Birds of Fire tour. Was it? And uh, yeah, so it was all the original guys: Rick Laird, John McLaughlin, Jan Hammer, Jerry Goodman, and Billy Cobham. And uh, it was kind of rock crowd. Rock crowd. Yeah. It, it, they had a little bit there of there wasn't fusion yet. And there wasn't fusion yet. Mm-hmm. There were no return to forever in that because they were a little ahead of that. So they were coming in the way he kind of played this 12-string electric guitar through fuzz tone. So it was kind of rocking. He, he's on the Miles Yeah, record. he was shredding. And the, in fact, there's a Miles song called John McLaughlin. <laughs> and on that record, there's a song called Miles Beyond, right? Yeah. And then, isn't that a, is there another cover of a Miles Davis song, too, on that record? Birds of Fire? Yeah. Hmm. Or is it Miles? It's not Miles Away, is it? We're talking like 74, 75, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> a little while ago, so I can't remember Me so neither. well. I, I just got hit uh, to the Mahavishnu like five, like five years ago, and I recently saw Billy Cobham and at Yoshi's in San Francisco on the Spectrum Revisited tour. So he put right, out that he solo, solo album. album. Yeah. So he did some bits from that. In and fact, then he that just... was really popular. That was like one of the first drummer records, rock drummer mm-hmm. records to go gold. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So Quadrant, brought... uh, George Hurley was into that. Uh-huh. Snoopy versus the Red Baron, right? Mm. At the end of it. But he he was touring uh doing Grateful Dead fusion covers. Some some way of doing Grateful Dead through fusion. Really? Yeah, I think he lives in Switzerland now, Bill mm. Cup. But he was amazing. I mean that was a wild it was a lot of notes. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there was something about it where it wasn't like fusion. It wasn't like a talk show band. You know those bands when the commercial comes on? Mm. Well, kind I... Kind of sound. Yeah. And uh, they weren't like that. They were like a rock band. It was pretty... And then with that violin, too. I mean, 
Jerry Goodman played, you know, the arpeggios yeah. would build up and build up and build up. It was kind of aggressive. Yeah, they they definitely seems pr- pretty heavy for what they were doing. But they were really that really popular, right? Uh, Maybe the place you see them at a big place. I saw them at the Long Beach, but they had a curtain. It wasn't in the arena. It was the arena. Oh, it was they, they had the curtain. Sometimes yeah. some gigs they would curtain off. In fact, you know, it gave us an idea. You've you've played a lot of tours, and you know about character builder gigs. I think I haven't played nothing but character building gigs. <laughs> okay, so we came, we came up with this idea for character builder gigs uh, called the anti-cave device. And it was a gigantic collapsible curtain rod and big-ass curtain. And no matter you know how many people are in there, you just move that ca- curtain rod up to the stage. You know, like, boy, it's crowded in here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, the Long Beach Arena had... <laughs> That's what gave you the seed of my anti-cave device <laughs> yep. idea. And kind of a like managing your character builder gigs. Right? I mean, your, your deaf and dumb gig was a definitely, it was a packed gig, but you came to learn later that all gigs are not created equal. No, they're not. They're not. But, you know, it's all open to interpretation. You can either make yourself miserable or you can... Yeah, right, right. Have expectations. Can, yeah, or you can That's just why go I, for I find where the real music people are. And the other people are just coasting on uh, maybe some entertainment vibe. But if you're into playing gigs, I think one character builders. A recent story for, for Triclops is, is we were on tour and we were playing in a really small... We were in Europe for the first time my first time to Europe the other guys have been a bunch of times so they're you know I was like the whippersnapper and then we were playing a small town again drawing a blank on a name you know uh, big I want to call it a cow town because maybe that's not the right term for Europe it was like you know in the middle of a bunch of pastures really small village obviously you know nothing going on we played in this like teen center that somehow still you know serves beer or whatever and they were. They booked us onto a show that they were convinced was going to be huge because there was some members of the popular local band that were trying a new band, and it was their first show, and they thought it was going to be a big deal. So we were in the middle of the bill, and you know, during the first band set, we were just kind of like, "Oh, well, this is going to be the, you know, this can be the, the, we'll just call it the dud of the tour." And uh, but we didn't care. We were happy, and we were just to be there, and we were checking it out, and then kind of set up, and you know, I'm saying there was like ten. 10 tops, 10 people there, maybe 15. And uh, right before we played, these two cats come bursting in the door, like full of energy, running at us 100 miles an hour, asking us if we played yet. And we were like tuning up. We thought it was funny. We we're like, no, man, of course we didn't play yet. You know, we're right here, you know. Yeah. And then we were, and then our Johnny uh, recognized him from a couple gigs ago, I guess, or in Berlin in there, or, or somewhere. But it turns out that the dudes drove four hours to get to this town to see us that night, and they just made it right on time. And that, just knowing that that happened, channeling that energy from those guys, made it like the best show ever, you know? Because yeah. they, it just, it, all it took was two of them, yeah. you know? And then everyone around them caught fire with their energy, yeah. and the whole place, you know, was just right. one big dance party. So it was, you know, it might, it might seem like a dud, but, it, you know, if you look, if you flip it around, it's going to be a great I've show no matter what. i actually had dud gigs with lots of people. Those are... <laughs> the dud gigs, I guess, are when you think you're off, not not when the you're blowing clams. And shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very you played a lot more gigs than me, so you it's know. very subjective. Mm-hmm. 
Some people, like, that was a great gig, and you're thinking, oh, man, I stunk it up. Now I have it. But you got to let it go because uh, they should be in charge of their own interpretation. Right. Yeah, you don't or you might think you did good. You, they think you... That's always yeah. the case. Yeah. Every time I think it's the best show ever, you know, somebody that's seen us a couple of times is like, it's all right. Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know. So we're at the end of the first hour. Walk from Pedro show. June 6, 2010. We're going to hear more because uh, we already jumped from heresy to triclops. There's stuff in between. There's some stuff in between. <laughs> June 6, 2010. The second hour of the Watt from Pedro show.
Pedro Show. We started the second hour off with uh, something from Sean Lennon's uh, new record uh, called Yorick's Skull. You know Yorick? Uh. We're going to have it here in the summer. It's going to be over here at Point Furman. Shakespeare by the Sea. Oh, uh, Yorick, okay, yeah, yeah. Captain oh, okay. Hamlet. Remember when uh, Hamlet, <coughs> right? His buddies, he picks up the, you know, yeah, yeah, a soliloquy yeah. to be or not to be, to piss or not mm. to piss. <laughs> With a piss bottle, that's never the question. You're never gonna fucking suffer again. People get disgusted, but somebody's riding in the boat. I ain't gonna. It was Joe Boom. Joe Boom wouldn't use a piss bottle. Okay, suffer. That's exactly what happens. This camp suffering is that thing came in handy. I, that was that was a cool moment. Have you guys seen that movie Crazy Heart yet? The the one that the, yeah the yeah. Jeff Bridges does the he's a bad Blake dude. the country guy. Who's uh, a piss bottle? The first scene of the movie, he pulls up to the gig. This was amazing. I, I instantly liked yeah. the movie from, you know, there's these beautiful shots of, I think they're in New Mexico. He's driving to the gig. He's on tour. He doesn't know where he's playing. He has no itinerary. He just has the directions, obviously, because he didn't know where, the, where he was going. So when he gets to the place, it, it's a bowling alley, yeah. and he just gets right out of the passenger, the, the driver's seat, gets out, dumps his piss bottle right, right on camera. <laughs> And pulls his pants up because his belt's all hanging up. And I'm like, every touring musician's going to love this one, man. That happened to me once at the border. Coming from Canada and the U.S., I used piss bottle. I forgot to. I don't like, I like Levi's with buttons because safer. But I forgot. And when the customs officer you know, asked me to exit the vehicle, <laughs> it was like that. <laughs> you know, I don't want to inspect your Johnson, son. Okay. 
Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes there's cavity search. You know what the number one strategy for cavity search is? Buck back. <laughs> Buck back? They're still thinking. <laughs> I'm still thinking about it. Right, yeah, after, right after Yorick's skull, we heard uh, Robert Pollard with Rice Train. You know Robert Pollard? Yep. Guy by vo- this guy's made 10,000 albums or so. He's, he's, How many songs can this cat write? There's like 30 songs on every album. I don't know, man. How much free time? It's just all he does every day, huh? I, I thought he was a school teacher. He was, yeah, in, yeah when he was starting music. Dayton. Who was great in the papers? Thurston was, uh, turned me on him. And then we heard um, Boogie Woogie Waltz, something live, uh, Nels Klein Singers. Nels Klein's got a new album out, a double album, one live, one studio. And this is a live tune from, uh, I think, Cafe de Nord. He mm, plays there with the frequency. Yep. And uh, he just came up and played this new um, this new spot in the Mission District of San Francisco. That's like I, I think it I, it's it's something like a flower. It's like the flower shop or something. It's called. I forget the name, but it's uh, I believe it's in an antique. It's a basement in an antique store. And the the drummer Phil from Triclops um, went and said it was shredding. Oh, yes. It was amazing. It was uh, and Scott at Amadola. Right, and uh, probably uh, Devin Hoff on the bass. Devin Hoff, yeah. That's Nels Klein Singers. But on this song here, they had some guests. Uh, John Greg Satomi from Deerhoof. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. And then we heard... These guys uh, are great, man. Celestica, I think is the name of it. Uh... It's a Thurston Moore remix. That's why I played it because I've not heard many Thurston Moore remixes. It's kind of a disco song by a band called Crystal Castles. And he remixed it. Yeah, and then we heard uh, Gary Reggie by a band called Derplan, uh, Dusseldorf. I had these records. They had two albums, '79 and '80, and uh, I hadn't heard them for a long time, and I found them. And uh, that's one of the tunes. They were a trippy band. Dusseldorf, same town that Kraftwerk came out of. And so they were like punk people doing the kind of Kraftwerk thing. Mm-hmm. Very interesting ob- albums. Uh, crazy band, very experimental. Uh, yeah, now you're still in heresy. Back to your musical journey. Here's the end of the heresy story, which is amazing. So we get our big breakthrough gig because my my where I live my my next door neighbor works for the local uh, cable network, and they're doing a filming of um, a special Olympics race. And the way the town is set up, there's like a gazebo in the middle of the town, and the special Olympians do the race, and they run over. It's called the Bridge of Lions, and it runs over um, water. It's a drawbridge. They run over the, the bridge, and then they they all spill over into the gazebo. And they're, in addition to the um, the, you know the joy and accomplishment of finishing the race, they get heresy doing Slayer covers in the gazebo as the, in the gazebo as the main attraction, right? So we're playing. We play our full set, and you know the the locals. You know it's all like metal, and and our singer sings in a King Diamond style voice, really high, really piercing, screeching high. Rob Halford. Rob Halford. Yeah. And uh, while I he's saw doing, play the whiskey. Uh, who? Judas Priest. Oh yeah. You know the whiskey was the other did, people. Man. <laughs> I saw the first. Yeah. Yeah. You know who opened up was Gary Valentine. He was the first bass player of Blondie. So like this new, new wave power pop trio, <laughs> and then Judas Priest. Power pop trio. Yeah, it was. The, talk about a trippy lineup. See, man, the, the, off the subject already. I, I I miss that. I miss that about 
about you know I, I don't see a lot of that happening and, yeah it you seems like you guys were always involved band. in that yeah. and then the 90s and I mean you know diversity seemed to make the scene I mean it must have pulled all the the numbers for the crowd into it I mean nowadays a lot of the music kind of could maybe the band's not exactly the same but you know the evenings are kind of planned to to cater to certain you know, pockets and demographics and that I mean the way when you trailblazed for all of us it wasn't like that huh well, the Europe f- uh, festivals are kind of diverse. Yeah. They have different stages. And uh, maybe this Coachella thing in the U.S. They have different bands. Like when you were touring yeah. in the eight, late 80s and 90s, like the, the, the bills were always kind of surprising, yeah? Yeah, oh yeah. We, <laughs> we played by some trivia. I mean, I know you played all the punkers. <laughs> oh yeah, we played, for, we played for a lot. Like in the 90s, like Firehouse was all 90s, yeah? Started 86. 86? Yeah. So eighty six to ninety three. Okay. Uh-huh. Seven, years, seven and a half years. But anyway, what happened with the the Saracy gig? So we so we play the gig, and it turns out that they film it from a couple different angles, and we didn't know this at the time, but it was going to air on the local cable access channel every day for the next year. <laughs> we didn't know that, and uh, right after the gig. We all went to my house. I had a pool. We had a you know pool party, pizza and soda, and you know I'm I'm riding high, man. You know I just saw Slayer a week ago. Just played my big signed a drumstick. I'm I'm like rock star at this point, right? And uh, and then um, our guitar player, you know Chet, his parents come to pick him up, and uh, trying to get a, and so you know night ends. I'm riding high. I'm trying to get a band practice scheduled as soon as possible to get something going. Can't get a hold of the guy. Won't call me back. School's, he's already done with school. High school is done. He graduated that year, so I ain't gonna see him. I'm not going to see him in school next year. I can't find him. I'm trying. I keep trying. I said, you know what, man? We gotta, i got to get a ride over to his house and see what's going on. I get a ride over to his house. House is empty. He moved. Nothing even there. So I was, we, were under the, we were under this impression that he was in the witness protection program. Because he was always so, he was always kept so, you know, so at home. He was, you know, I guess kept, and he went to high school, and that was it. And as soon as he was out in the, in public, and then and then he was going to be on television, they they were gone. So that was the end yeah. of heresy. Well, the band's <laughs> over. <laughs> band's over. Okay, but now we're going to have the beginning of Brother Matt's spin cycle. Oh, cool. And you're not going to jam with him on drums. You're going to jam with him on guitar. So. Hold up. Yep. Thank you. 
Watt for Pedro show. Watt for Pedro show. Thank you very much, Christian, for joining us. Yeah, Brother you. Matt Spinsacker. Brother Matt, what was your inspiration? Um, motivation. Well, we start off with John Coltrane on Atari and figured to just kind of yeah. go with that flow. And for you, <laughs> Christian, you didn't know it was coming. No, man. I thought it was cool to put me in the, on the hot seat like that. Yeah. And a guitar with no effects? Guitar, no effects, and minimal volume, and you just you got to go for it as best yeah. you can. There's also flow. a little latency because you got to go through the circuitry. So I noticed notice? that. It was, yeah, yeah it was but you compensated pretty good. It was fun. You could actually pretend it was an effect, you know? It was cool. A delay, an echo a without the uh, first sound. <laughs> right? It's like a delay without the first. Well, um, all the notes can't be pretty, right? <laughs> it's flavor. It's pretty good. Yeah, good rhythm. Your right hand, real good. Respect. We're at the end of the second hour, uh, June 6, 2010. Watt Pedro Show. Hold tight for hour three. June 6, 2010, it's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show. The carnival rides. Get your tickets now. Guess how many human variables here tonight? Throw a quasi-ergotic curve in space and win a hot water bottle. Hit the perpendicular harmonic oscillators with a plasmatic hammer. Win a rational connection to an irrelevant difference. Win a date with Zeta, the breakaway gene. Ride the survival machine through spirals passing their origins. Find the hot wire of neutral circuitry with all the seashells in the galaxies you can carry to the end of time. Win! Roy Acuff's Great Speckled Bird.
Pedro show start off the third hour with uh, somebody who used to live in San Francisco he used to live on uh, how do you pronounce it Gough Gough or Gough like the painter Go because the, the in Dutch call it, they the say Gough the locals call it Gough Gough for like some reason F there right yeah okay uh, Charlie used to live there that, that we heard uh, Carnival by uh, Charlie Plymel and uh, he used to live with Allen Ginsberg in uh, Neil Cassidy mm-hmm. and a house there on Goff. On Goff. And uh, he, he put out the first Zap comic. Oh, really? Yeah, underground comic. That was Palm of his. Then we heard a couple things from Japan. Uh, Drops by Light. Where did I play with Light in San Francisco? Oh, Bottom of the yeah, Hill. Yeah, Bottom of the Hill. Those guys were great. Oh, you saw them from yeah, Tokyo. That was their, the first time there. Yeah, I picked up their uh, disc. They were so They're excited. super cool dudes. And they, they were, yeah, they were really happy. Yeah. Huh? And they had a good good, good response spirit. too. They were, and they, people knew nothing about them. They only knew them for the music they played that night. There was no hype. Yep. Yeah. We did it, that radio show, Pirate Cat. Did you? Yeah, my cool people. Yeah, I've been Came there. Came over there and talked. That's like a little cafe. It's a cool little spot, you know, yeah. and, and you can see the street, a bunch of windows just right there. You'd never think there'd be a radio station sitting there, you know? <laughs> Strange. Yeah, and then we heard uh, "Snow Coach" by Wakine. A little organic. I wouldn't call it drum circle music. <laughs> <laughs> now look, speaking of drum circles, you left the drum circle. 
I left the drum circle for guitar um, after years of playing in you know different bands and just being a surfer and a beach bum. And, this is your and Florida life. Happy about that. Yeah, living the sunset lifestyle. And um, a bunch of things spilled over into one year. It, it was I was eight. I just turned eighteen. I, I got in a car. A, a, an accident where my truck, it wasn't a bad accident, but my truck got totaled. My girlfriend dumped me because I didn't have a nice truck anymore. And my band broke oh, up. she seems like a very deep person. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, a lot, lot of depth at 17 or whatever. <laughs> so she dumped me because my truck wasn't, wasn't uh, you don't rocking. You don't yardstick, right? Showed up in like a blue, I showed up in a blue tempo. And uh, after that was the, the car I got in place of that. And she wasn't having that. You wouldn't measure the depth with a yardstick. You use a mi- micrometer. Micrometer? <laughs> so, so, yeah. No, no, so, not so, to make light of a tragic thing like that. But, uh, but so yeah. she's gone. So, yeah, but it was a learning experience. So it was a, you know, so, and I, my band broke up, which I was really, which I was really happy about. I, I didn't want the band to break up at the time, but. The truck broke down, the girlfriend dumped me, and the band broke up at the same time. Damn. So it was a crossroads. So I was like, all right, I know I got to do something to pull myself out of these doldrums. Yeah. Yeah. I got to find some new inspiration. Yeah. What do I do? And right at that moment, I went on a vacation to visit my cousins in up in New Britain, Connecticut, and they turned me on to Sonic Youth. Ah. And I never heard them before. You know, They're a Northeast and, man. And, ever, and so what happened was I sat Actually, in their apartment. Actually, you know, Thurston grew up in Danbury. Right, yeah, he's a the Connecticut guy too. The state, yeah. Yep. Isn't Bethel in there somewhere too? Do you live in Bethel, Bethel too? Bethel, I, I know Danbury. Yeah. But I don't know which part of his life. Hmm. Uh, I'm, well, it's his later part, I know, because that's where he made the journeys to Manhattan. Right, yep. So yeah, I got, got, fell in love with all that stuff and just, you know, that was Tripping a whole new tunes. world. Yeah, that was a whole new world to me, so I decided to start playing guitar. Oh, you didn't want to be Steve Shelley? I didn't. No, I, I, I he's no. from Michigan. I was super psyched on Dale Crover and Dave Grohl, but I just I wanted to play guitar instead. So I just started playing guitar because this is gonna sound strange, but I figured if you know, oh, so you kind of left metal music. To I listened to punk music. I did. Yeah, yeah, but I was in the Florida death metal scene at the time, so it wasn't like you know that was like punk rock for Florida. That was yeah. like the underground, yeah. like tape trading, the whole all the same parallels as what was going on, and. uh so yeah, I got really psyched on the. I bought a you know terrible Fender Stratocaster off a friend of mine. He sold me his amp. He sold me a Big Muff pedal, and I was instantly rocking. You know, just playing like three chords because I figured that's what you know. That's First exactly what all those bands were doing. Nirvana was doing a couple chords, and you know couldn't write the 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 songs like that. But I was just like, oh, let's just jam these tunes and see what happens. Yeah. So I grabbed my buddy with the Led Zeppelin pin. Yeah. The bass player who was the bass player of Heresy. He joined that band. We started that band. We we called it Spitfire. Did you change your look? I didn't. I was still a surfer dude. I did cut the hair though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I did cut the hair. That was another rebellion against the. It was the start a new life. <laughs> cut the hair. Lost all my powers. Yeah, Samson. <laughs> totally, man. So yeah, started that, and then you know played played up and down the coast with that. And you know, didn't what was the name of this band? This band was called Spitfire. Spitfire. And I was playing guitar and singing. I was doing my best to try try to do it. And uh, you know, we were trying to rip drumming? off um, a high school buddy that I kind of you know reminded him that he played drums in high school and kind of told him that what I basically just dusted this cat off. I found him surfing in the lineup one day and I said, "Hey man, you want to play drums?" And he goes, "Yeah, I haven't played drums in five years. Cool." 
So we made a band out of nothing. But you being former drummy, could you direct him? That was a very that was an exercise in patience. I did. I had to. I got frustrated easily. Was it? Yeah, oh, okay. Because I wanted him to perform how it was in my head. Yeah, right. You know, and I was when I was young, and I wasn't patient enough to be like, oh man, this cat hasn't played in a long time. I got it. He has to go through his own way of, of figuring it out. But man, we did. We worked hard for two years, and then we finally figured out how to put a CD out. Because unlike down there, there was no. We had to make our own clubs. You know, there was like one place that. You know, everyone played when I was too young to play out. And then there was not really any venues. You know, we had to find our own spots. So the same 50 people would come to the same shows, and everyone was a, you know, community. It was a tight community, but. Did you ever get no, to Gainsburg? Th- there was. Uh, Gainesville? Gainesville. The covered and dish? Barely. We go to see shows there, but couldn't get a gig. Because oh, we, you know, couldn't draw anybody. Sure. So. So, um. <laughs> Gainsburg. Gainsburg. <laughs> yeah, Gainsburg. I played there many, many times. <laughs> no, it's a it's a good spot. That's the that's one of the good spots there. Um, it's a college town. Yeah. It's yeah, kind of the Austin yeah, of Florida. Austin, I know Florida, but I think Tom Petty's from there. Yeah. Very harsh in the summertime. Oh yeah. Everywhere. Weather. No matter what. Everywhere. But especially there, there's not by the sea. It's so not. so yeah. you're having to do your own thing. So, so you start touring. We're doing this thing and we start picking up shows on the East Coast and mm-hmm. you know and finally figured out how to put a CD out and did that and uh, and um, and then decided you know and then a bunch of friends of mine who I looked up to a lot um, had. Decided, oh, you're writing songs. I'm writing the songs and the lyrics. In Heresy, you weren't. Were you writing the songs on the drums? Mm, I mean, I had an active role of of arranging them, but you know, it was just beats. So these are your first so songs. So this is like writing. my first, yeah. like you know, really getting into like you know writing the song from the guitar up. So we, you know, we, we there some friends of mine just decided that they were going to jump, you know, jump, try to jump out into to bigger waters and move to San Francisco. So they did, and then I was sitting around the town, and they were like the town band for me. They they were they were um, they went through a number of different names, but they were always like a really heavy like you know grunge like power punk or you know like with a pop sensibility kind of thing band and they were i looked up to them a lot and they moved out there and i just decided when they after they left and i said well a we just lost the good band of the town and b i'm just gonna move to san francisco and join their band ah and they didn't really want me to join their band so i decided to sell everything bum rush? huh bum rush bum rush <laughs> i asked him i said listen man if i show up and in san francisco do i have a shot do i have an audition and they said no promises, but if you show up, you get one shot. And I was like, perfect, that's all I need. Learned the songs, went there, took my shot, nailed it. They still didn't want me in the band, but I forced myself on them. And then that was how I learned, you know, and and, and I moved in with a, a what cat. What were they called then? What? When you made it, what were they called then? The band was called The Clinics. And they later became Bottles and Skulls against everyone's wishes. Why, that's the best name in the world. You're the fifth person to think that. That's cool. If we only had Watt's stamp of approval back then, we might have believed in it a little you know, bit more. The trippy name is the Tokyo Kids, you know, Light. I told them, they didn't know, you know. That's the, one of the, the name of one of the worst beers in the U.S. <laughs> you know, Miller owns the copyright. All the other light beers have to say GHT, but they own the L-I-T-E. It is. That's. So they didn't know. They were called stuff. a slide or something. They were a dance band, and they, I think they were thinking of you know because they don't use our letters anyway. So they were 
thinking of like light, you know, hmm. like from a flashlight or something. But yeah, band names are trippy. But what was the sound it ain't like? Easy man. The, were they still like power? It was no. Pop? They they morphed into more of a like clash punk sound with a little bit more of like at the time like you know those there was bands like the Zeke and Motorhead and oh Zeke the stuff was all yeah that, that was like pretty pretty there was a big presence of that in San Francisco at the time. Dwarves. Dwarves were a big influence on that. So uh, that that just started, and then we did that for a number of years and toured the U.S. and had a couple terif- you know terrible tours. Record. Lots of good stories, though. Recorded a couple albums, and yeah, we recorded one. One of them we did with uh, Jack and Dino up in Seattle. Ah. That was our big studio moment. He was a cool cat to work with. He was was really- it hard to live in San Francisco compared to living in Florida? No, I loved it. I was freezing to death, but I loved it. And uh, we rents a little we, higher. What we did was we got an apartment in a building that the singer's ex girlfriend owned, and she gave us cheap rent. And then to make it even cheaper, we had our girlfriends move in. Ah, so, so split, it was two fifty a month, yeah. so we could go on tour no matter you know no matter what, because we weren't making anything at all. You know, it was bare. It was more than bare bones. You know, but then you know I so I met. I met Johnny, the singer of Triclops, on tours with his other band, Fleshies, who were putting out yeah. records with Jello. And uh, and going back to that story about the curtain, yeah, Fleshies had this really cool thing they pulled one time when we were playing in Sacramento. We were playing this big open warehouse that had a skate ramp in it somewhere, and uh, Bottles and Skulls played with our backs against the wall, facing the whole thing. Well, Fleshies decided to set up facing a, a corner, and they set up real close to the corner so all 50 people that were there crowded into the corner and it was amazing i was like oh man you guys you one-upped us for sure you know all of a sudden it was like this super cool gig you know i was thinking about that creative thinking yeah man it it was cool it was was my first time i've seen something like that that was neat it's ingenuity yeah they were they were quick on their feet so then both bands broke up at the same time and john and i were kind of talking to each other, talking to each other through it, complaining about it, really. Bumming on each other's band. Yeah, like yeah. giving, you know, he'd tell me a funny story, I'd tell him a funny story, and then one day we were like, yeah, if we were going to start a band, I'd do this, this, and this, and then we both said, well, let's start a band and do that. that. <laughs> so then it was just me and him, and we knew what we wanted to do, and I wasn't the songwriter in Bottles and Skulls. I was just a rhythm guitar player that could yeah. play with one finger and drop D and get drunk, you know? Yeah. So Very difficult. I finally had a chance to actually break out of my shell and play and really go for it, and I decided to take it. And at the time, I was listening to a lot of Mars Volta, a lot of Mahavishnu Orchestra, and um, and I was just getting into the... Somebody bought me the Ken Burns Jazz documentary, and uh, I was listening to Masada, Electric Masada, yeah. and uh, Secret Chiefs 3. And, um, Masada is that John Zorn. John Zorn, yeah. Um, Electric Masadas with Mark Rabot. Yeah, and, guitar. And uh, Shazad Amali, Chess Smith was in there. Um, Drums. Yeah, shredding shredders. Buddy and Nels. Yeah. Chess. And uh, just got really into it and wanted to push the push my own limits. Finally got into that mentality. Well, what of, about like, the other two? How'd you get them? So we found the drummer on a Craigslist ad that we posted, and we put all these drummers' names in there, and the one that did it for him was Billy Cobham. Because Phil just so happened to be a Cobham freak, and he had an orange Vistalite Fives kit, so he was like, "Oh man, these guys are these guys are dropping Billy Fives. Cobham." I'm that's gonna... Cobham. That's the one's Cobham. Yeah. So they they were like, "Well, if these guys have the audacity to drop Billy Cobham, I'm going to call these guys on it, and I'm going to go yeah. jam with these guys." 
So I, you know, found him on Craigslist, went to jam with him. Chemistry was great. So we had a drummer. Yeah, I like him. He's good. And then I went to see Larry's band that I'd never seen before, that band called Hellworms that he was in. Yeah, after Victim Family. Yeah. Yeah, it was after Saturn's Flea Collar, too. And um, and I saw him on bass, and I was like, that's the guy, man. Like, he, he can do it. So we had to rope him into it. At the time, he was in, like, five bands. <laughs> so he quit all of the bands to play in Triclops. Wow. And we had our you know, our unit, and we started going for it. And yeah. We, you know, we worked really hard for four years. And uh, Jella put out your records. He put out the last two, Yeah. yeah. Out of Africa was the first one we did with him, and then this one that Helper's on the other side. Did he come to a gig? Hmm? Or he knew you from Johnny B. He with knew Fleshies. John and Larry, yeah. you know. Larry putting out records for 15 years with him already. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that wasn't too hard. He was actually bummed because we did our EP on a on um, a fellow who's in this sitting a friend of mine who's sitting right next to me. Mitch Cheney had a record label called Sick Room Records in Chicago. Yeah, and he put out the EP, our first EP, because we wanted to, those guys wanted to do something different. And I said, well, let's do it with this guy. So that, that was cool. So we did that. Did some picture disc vinyl on a label out of missing a missing finger out of Brooklyn, and then got a, and hooked up with Jello because we were originally going to do it with GSL. Yeah, and uh, they folded right when we were in the studio. So yeah. Sonny put out a, a seven inch instead, and then we did the album with Jello. Now my first time seeing you was uh, here, well not Pedro, but Echo Park mm-hmm. at uh, the Echo. It used to be called Narita. It was a, it was a Guatemala nightclub. Oh yeah, you could still see it on the outside, the former uh-huh. sign. A little. But. Um, that's where I saw you. You were opening up for Hanson Brothers, right? With the, which are the Wright Brothers from No Means No. Yep. And that maybe I was late train coming because that's many years into your thing, right? Three years. Uh, yeah, like three years, two years, three years. Yeah. Maybe so even. I'm a late comer, but I really dug the gig. I thought you guys were wild. Yeah, I didn't get a Love chance it. to meet you that night, but I was stoked that Larry told me you were super into it. Yeah, I watched the whole thing and. Guys played before them, mm-hmm. but I, I always try to see all the bands because you don't know what you're going to see. Yeah. And man, I was really happy I got to see Triclops. <laughs> you know, because it shows was, are the most fun. You know, the songs kind of long <laughs> compared to other punk bands. They don't. They 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 develop into like stories. They're not the brief things so was, much like yeah. where I'm from. Conscious effort to make them to not. To not write like that, definitely to make them epics or just be absurd. <laughs> really, you know, it was like we all came from the small, the small song punk bands, and we were like, well, let's just keep telling the tale and not even stop, and you know, and and who cares what you know? Let's just do it. So, in the first song we wrote was ten, ten minutes long. <laughs> that was cool, but the problem with writing long songs is picking the set list. Because you usually got about 30 minutes. Yes, yeah, so there's three And you're like, songs. oh, man, but I really want to play this one. And I'm, and I'm like, well, how long is that? Nine minutes. Ah, oh, well, if we do that, we can't do this one because it's the one. So usually about five song sets. Wow. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's how this was. And Johnny had such a wild stage thing. He had some flashlights taped to his shoes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> long my cable. Remind me of a New Orleans band in the old days called The Sluts where Dave Slut had some 70 foot mic cable and shit ran all over the place, you know. I think that's what his name was. Dave but, Slut? Uh, yeah. It was a long time ago. 
Actually, he was under consideration to be a black flag singer. Oh, yeah? Henry ended, ended up getting it, but he was one of the dudes under consideration. But uh, he had a long mic cable. He would make many journeys around the pad. And <laughs> yep. <laughs> days before wireless, you had to have a big thing, you know, to do that. Uh, but then uh, the music, too, is very engaging to me. The whole thing. I, I really liked your band a lot. Uh, you brought your acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's, let's get that going. Uh, I'll play some music first.
Watch from Pedro Show. Uh, we heard uh, something from V612 Project. That's got Todd from Liquid Jesus. Oh, cool. and he's, he wrote a song called Watt Train. Yeah. told me it was from me. Then we heard Lies and the Lying Liars that Sell Them by Victory and Associates. I think they're San Francisco band. You know Victory and familiar. Associates? sounds familiar. I know there's a lot of bands up there. Oh, wait, I'm thinking of a book that says Lies and the Lying Liars Who Tell Them. Right. This is Sell Them, so it's very close. Uh-huh. Maybe that's where they got it. And then we heard Standard Punishment by Force Vomit. I'll Let You In on a Secret by Sister Psych and Butt Slop from Bass Amp and Dano. And I was told that I was inspiration for that song. Uh, but now, <laughs> seriously, we are going to hear Christian now play some acoustic guitar. I'm going to yeah. follow up butt slop with some acoustic? Yeah, but, <laughs> wow, man. but still no effects. All right. 
I can I can just go ahead and follow up butt slop right now. Okay. Yeah, you gotta bring up the rear.
kind of got out of tune there. I was going to finish the song, but it sounded too bad to keep going, man. (laughs) Thank you very much. Out of tune's okay. Sometimes. There you go. (laughs) Jazzy dissonance. Yeah, I was trying to rip off the cashmere tuning one day, and I accidentally tuned my guitar wrong, and it ended up being something that I really liked, so I just decided to keep doing it. So a lot of the, all the stuff that I'm, the acoustic stuff I just played is just riffing on an open tuning. You know, yeah. Which is fun. It makes it, it makes guitar playing a little easier. Might have done that for the, for the jam if I had known what was coming. <laughs> Got me out there in standard tuning alone. Help! I'm in standard. Help! How often does Thurston Moore play in standard tuning? Mm, I wonder. That's a good question. I know I'd come over his pad. Some blues jams, maybe? And it would be fucking hard. You see a guitar there, and hey, I want to do Born on the Bayou or something. It'd be like... Or there's six B strings or something. <laughs> yep. You, you never done one of these uh, Glenn Branca? I know he did one up in San Francisco. I was part of one. Oh, no, I hadn't four seen Four years it. ago? Nope. It was 64 guitars, 20 basses, one drummer. Right. And uh, interesting tunings for the guitar. I got to play standard. But so- it was quite a piece. It was some four big movements. We had to read music and... I was sitting right next to drummer <laughs> Virgil. He played with the Swans for a number of years. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I was watching the conductor. The conductor counted out every beat. Uh-huh. It was tough, but it was pretty intense. It was at the Disney Music thing downtown. So when you, you know, given the story of how you started playing, did you somewhere along the line learn how to read music? Uh, yeah. You already knew? No. No. But you did? You schooled yourself? No, I tried clarinet in the seventh grade, and after ten weeks, the teacher said, you try hard, what? But... <laughs> well, see, I failed music theory, too, but I was the drummer of the well, jazz the theory. band. theory? I was seventh grade, and when they're trying to do like jazzy version of uh, Hark the Herald Angels Singer, the We Three Kings or some shit. Uh-huh. Should have been We Free Kings. <laughs> Who's that? Uh, Roland Kirk. No, it was... T- I was terrible. Uh, but I went and learned uh, as I got less younger. So I could, uh, yeah, do stuff like that. It's still tough. I can only do bass clef kind of mm-hmm. uh, c- competently. But sight reading's tough. I think you have to do it all the time to keep on the prac. But, man, I really wanted to be part of this piece. And so I got on it. Uh for 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 that was it? Well, but I do it sometimes. People give me stuff, and I have to read it off there. And mm-hmm. you played with a band from San Francisco, Al Qaeda. Yeah, what yeah? A name. <laughs> what was the connection with that? Uh, the guy just asked me. Yeah, I didn't know him. Some young people. You did you come up to play with them, or did you bring the band? No, they live up there. You just came to play with them specifically. Yeah. I missed the gig. I was working or something. Yeah, at Hemlock. Mm-hmm. And there were some gigs down here. There was one in San Diego. They just asked me to play with them. First, he asked me to put bass on a song. I've been people send me music. I just made an album with a guy in uh, Montreal. Uh, 
I never even met him. Ten songs he just sent me, and I just put bass on it. So it was something like that. Uh-huh. There are people in their, uh, I don't know, middle 20s or something. And, uh, you know, everybody's got something to teach you. Yeah. So I just oh, yeah. thought by putting myself in a situation, I had nothing. You know, sort of like being in the dumped in the spin cycle there. <laughs> you just have to <laughs> go for it, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was... There was uh, it, it was... Uh, Kind of pants shitter. Well, to be but, honest with you, man, that's the same reason that I'm playing acoustic solo because the idea terrified me because I'm used to hiding behind a wall of sound and yeah. wah pedals and delay pedals, and then I realized I was like, man, I, you know, I, I like playing this at my house, but do I have the guts to do it in front of anybody? And yeah. For many years, I knew that I didn't, and then I, I was forced to at a Triclops promo gig in Marseille, France, and yeah. I, the only thing that got me through is that I knew that I couldn't really communicate, so. It was cool. I just said, all right, well, they're going to enjoy this however they do. And that was the thing that gave me enough confidence to do it. Well, I respect. But the first time I did it in San Francisco, I dressed up as an old man. and, and I don't have to do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I dressed up as a really like weird-looking old guy that could have came off the I street. I don't have to do that either. Yeah, yeah. Well, my friends didn't even know who it was. I called it Rip Van Kringle because my nickname's Kringle to my my true friends. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and so that was, I hadn't played in costume since then, but that was my, do- I that, play that every was Halloween. my, you know, <laughs> every Halloween, maybe 23, 24 in a row now I've worn. So you play as an old, old man on Halloween? Uh, no, a lot of times I wear a pumpkin with the bottom cut out, uh-huh. pumpkin head. <laughs> and, but I like Halloween. It's the one day a year we admit we wear costumes. Well, in San Francisco, they do it for this marathon called Beta Breakers. It's a whole other Halloween that happens just a couple of weeks ago. People just get crazy the over there. Thing. Yeah, it yeah. used to be a, it was a real a legit run for athletes, and then it turned into a big Mardi Gras party, wow. Mardi Gras esque party, yeah, yeah, where sure. people just you know they indulge. I don't know. There's something about Halloween. I like the, the costume thing. I like that better than than the marathon. I'd rather <laughs> like dress up like as something on Halloween. Day, you know, September nineteenth. Actually, I think there should be only one day a year where we don't talk like pirates. <laughs> that would be heaven <laughs> for me. <Arr. laughs> you know, the guy at the gas station, the guy at the bank, you know. <laughs> Hand me over me booty. Higher <laughs> that I do. <laughs> you know this guy, Robert Newton. If you, if you notice, if you ever watch pirate movies before, uh, what was it, Treasure Island or something? Robert Newton was Long John Silver, I think in 50 or 51. Well, before that, there's no pirate talk yet. Uh-huh. Nobody knows what, there was no recorders. No Shiver Me Timbers or any yeah. of that stuff. He came up with that, that was because he was from a part in England called Cornwall. He just used his home accent. And somehow that came on as like, the ire. that's right. how we be talking. <laughs> Jim lad. <laughs> Bring me another cabin boy. This one's tar. Uh, <laughs> you know, all this stuff came from Robert Newton. This this actor, he died of alcoholism in late fifties, maybe the year I was born, maybe fifty seven or something. But this became this cat became, you know the yep the the poster boy poster pirate. He, he was he was the he, pirate he, voice. Yeah, no he one was knew. The, 
Obviously, the original pirate? Look, there must have been French and Spanish pirates. They weren't talking that way. <laughs> no. Yeah, everyone forgets. Oh, no, man, the first pirate's definitely from Southern California. So, yeah, right. Well, actually, he was from England. He came and moved here to do Hollywood. It's just amazing how, you know, lots of people in this country think that stuff just came from here. You know, it's, you know, oh, I it's know. just the ignorance of the history. Is the Speaking funny of scene. costume people, they're getting arrested now on Sunset. <laughs> You know, there's a whole industry of cats who dress up as Batman and shit. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, the cracking down on them. <laughs> so instead of homeless, instead of uh, giving the homeless or people a hard time, they just go and find people dressed <laughs> up like lun- lunatics? Them, guys. Big Superman, put them in the pokey. You know? Maybe it's a See if he can trip. break out of this place. Maybe the cops know, don't Superman like it because they're Superman. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know Superman, and you're no Superman. That makes sense. I mean, what you know? Why not? Yeah, you know, because it is a heavy problem. I could see it ruining the country. And well, I'm down for a tour of this. I want to go down. Is there a specific street where I can go? Oh, it's costume watch. Man's Chinese Theater on Sunset on Hollywood Boulevard. They're okay. all over there. Okay. And I guess I don't know who's complaining. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Real Maybe they're aggressive panhandling. <laughs> Maybe it's something like this. I don't. I don't know. I don't well, know. that's the difference, man. Article. Like, if you got a guy who's dressed up as a gold gold robot break dancing, or you got a street guy who's giving it his all on some you know out of tune cover songs, but then you got these guys that are just going to wear the costume and still panel panhandle. You got to have it. You got to give something. You got to okay. do a shindig or a, a dance or a something. Gig. Yeah. Okay. You can't panhandle just because you're dressed up like Batman. Yeah. That ain't right. Um. Yeah, wear a Batman suit all day, rubber kind of thing. Yeah, rubber, right? Because the See, modern. What if the Batman guy dressed up and did all those Prince covers from the first Batman movie? The Prince. Well, that one the I think a little more comfortable. What was that? Silk or something? Bandex. <laughs> <laughs> the rubber one. But man. what if he had a guitar and he played the 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 Prince jams from? Now that'd be something to tip oh, the guy. I wonder what the idea of the rubber suit because they didn't like like the guy bellin'. I guess Adam West was kind of bellin'. <laughs> <laughs> so if you put up this fake rubber muscles and Adam West didn't have fake rubber muscles, did he? No, he was wearing like he was this straight up. spandex or whatever. What was that? He didn't, probably didn't have spandex yet or something. Uh, like Leotard, lycra. Yeah, who's well, well versed in costume? What do they call it in Japan? Cosplay. They call cosplay? It cosplay. Yeah, like you're playing in costume. And they have like conventions of this stuff, cosplay. I guess we got them too at the uh, Comic-Con and uh, sci-fi. Things. the liquid Trekkie. latex. Latex? Yeah, liquid latex. Just paint it on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you move past the... Uh, stage of having to do acoustic guitar and set an old man outfit. Right. Yeah. So I can actually do it with my real, real normal clothes. And uh, yeah, I've been just playing, trying to do those shows. I've been calling it Liquid Indian. Yeah. So th- th- this is right in the now. This, this is, is in the now. Here. Yeah. I'm trying to. I'm working on you know an, on a record, trying to get it done. It's acoustic based. It's got some drums, some electric guitar, but it's. Do you play the drums? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've been revisiting that to much. To much glee, well, I'm really happy with that. It's been a lot of fun playing the pearl kit again. Yeah, the pearl kit. Yeah, the smoky chrome pearl kit, man. Wow! And you're just overdubbing on yourself. Mm-hmm. I play the guitar first, and then just wing it on the drums after that, and and it usually syncs up all right. 
Uh, Grohl, Stevie Wonder, they did with drums first. And then, because they did some one-man records, right? Drums, they did drums. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And some uh, 70s, like maybe Intervisions or something. Some of Stevie Wonder, um, Prince too, Mm -hmm. did one-man records. And start with the drums. If you know the whole whole jams, it's no problem. But these the stuff that I'm doing on the solo record is kind of minimal. Yeah, it's just for accents. So it's fun. It's easy. Uh, guitar wise, inspiration started out with Sonic Youth. Um, Lee Thurston. Yep, and then uh, and then um, Jimmy Page is probably my favorite guitar player in the universe. I recently, in the last five years. It's my personal opinion is that I think probably the probably the one. I mean, I don't even want to say underrated, but I mean it, it's new to me. It's a cult for most, but I think one of the most amazing guitar players that I've ever heard in my life is Frank Zappa, and I had no idea until all the guys in Triclops turned me on to it. And it would just get to a point in a song where he's doing his thing, he's got his thing going on, and he just decides to casually play electric guitar and just rip your head off. Yeah. You know that that was cool. That was really cool. I was really into what the Mars Volta was doing. You know, I, I, I really liked that John Theodore's drumming was a big inspiration. But, but the thing is, is that when I, I, I usually take from the the drummers and and translate it to being inspired on the guitar. Great. You know, that's usually how I do it. I'm trying to think yeah, of but, like Cobham, Miles. You know, in his autobiography, he said I uh, got trumpet phrasing from hearing Frank Sinatra sing. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think Cross. Paul, inspiration. Less is a, a chance of ripping off and copying. <laughs> right. Using a different machine. Yeah, I'm still terrible at cover songs, man. I, You know, the only covers I ever did were on those first bands of mine on the drums, and I never learned how to play anybody's stuff on guitar. It was all my own. So, you know, I could play like some standard blues stuff, but I can't, okay. can't swing it with any of the covers, man. Somebody throws me in there and says, this is the tune. I'm like, I'm dead in the water, you know. Well, Christian, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I want to thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks to Matt Thanks. for making it happen too. Come on down. Yeah. It was cool, man. I, I, I you know, I got we we got the the show organized by email, and one of the emails that came to me had Matt's phone number, but your name on it. So when I called him to talk about the show, I was talking to you, and he answered. I was like, "Hey, Matt, Mike, how you doing, man? Hey, listen, I'm going to be the." Yeah, well, and he's like, the "Oh number. man, I think you got the wrong number." I won't, I won't blow him up. He's cool. <laughs> I'm coming over. <laughs> what time am I coming over? What? What are you talking about, man? <laughs> That's how it went down. <laughs> Bum rush. <laughs> well, thank you for coming over. Brother Matt, thanks for eating cool, in the bed. Cool. Thank you all. Were you driven down? I was. By by my, my family sitting right next to me over here. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dad. Thank you so much. You. Big respect. Respect to you, man. Uh, it's been the and uh, good luck with the Liquid Indian. I want to play yeah. some. I played one before, but you send me some more, okay? I will. Okay. I will. It's been June 6, 2010. Watt from Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>